Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Soul Food, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. I heard a story about two brothers who were were notorious sinners. They were drunkards, thieves, womanizers, and often got into fights at the local bars. Well, one day one of the brothers died, and the other brother went to the preacher and said, I'll give you a thousand dollars if at the funeral you'll say my brother was a saint. Well, the preacher agreed, and one day, on the day of the funeral, as it came, he stood before the few who were gathered and declared, This man we're burying today was a liar, a thief, a drunkard, an adulterer, and a blasphemer. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. Well, there's a lot of confusion today about what a saint is. We've been studying in Galatians. Paul has been instructing us. Um, There were a group of folks called the Judaizers who had come in. And if Paul hadn't stepped in and been bold, what we know as Christianity may have just become a sect of Judaism. But Paul's been teaching the Galatians that we are saved by grace alone, plus nothing. We're saved by the works of Christ on the cross. And that is why the cross is so hated in the secular world. The cross is God's deliverance for us. And we are not saved by our works or performance. Paul had started several churches in this region of Galatia. It is what we would now call the northern part of present-day Turkey. But these Jewish believers had crept in, and they were teaching that believing in Jesus is okay, but to really be right with God and to be accepted by God, you have to keep the law. And specifically, they were teaching that everyone needed to be circumcised. Well, Paul had already presented, as we've discussed in these sermons, four different arguments which were amazing. Uh, Paul was an educated man, a wise man, and uh, he would have made a great lawyer. He presented four arguments already that we have discussed in previous messages here. And today we're going to look at a fifth one, and we'll call this argument today the sentimental argument. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. Well, what is the mission of the church? Is it to have lots of nice uh, fellowships and retreats and, and build big synagogues? No, it isn't. The mission is to make disciples. 
In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus said, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Well, Paul here tells the Galatians to become like me, for I became like you. Now, what Paul is saying is that he has been a strict adherent to Jewish tradition. You remember Paul previously was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul obeyed all the Jewish laws, traditions, and rituals. But he's saying to these folks, hey... I gave all that up and I became like you. I became like a Gentile and I let all that stuff go. I'm not bound by that anymore. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, Paul says this in verse 19 through 23. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more. And to the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that by all means I might save some. So the first point here that Paul is making, he says, I want you guys to become, I, I became like you so that you would become like me. The first point here is that effective Christians and effective churches need to be culturally flexible. Now you guys know, I know you know, and I have too, you've seen churches where they are just so rigid. You must dress like me, walk like me, talk like me, uh, look like me. Uh, uh, my uncle used to go to a church in Louisiana. Uh, you know how hot Louisiana is, you know. And they had a tradition, a culture there, that the men all wore long sleeve shirts in that heat. That was a cultural thing, and they were rigid about that. And you know churches that have these kind of little rigid rules that they have. Well, Christians need to be culturally flexible. If you'll ask any missionary, you'll find out they will tell you to be effective. You have to meet people where they are. You eat the foods they eat. You live in the situations they live in. And sometimes you wear the same clothing that they wear. So Paul says, I became like you. But I want you to become like me. The second point is that effective churches and Christians are transparent. Paul says, I want you to become like me. Now that might sound arrogant at first, and you wouldn't go home after church and go over to your neighbor's house and knock on the door and say, Hey, listen up, Bubba. I want you to become like me. That probably wouldn't go well, would it? But Paul is saying, it's not an arrogant message. He is saying, become free. Become spiritually free. Don't be tied down by rules and regulation and legalism. Because, you know, the, the problem with legalism is when do you know you've done enough? When have you kept enough rules and regulations that you can feel comfortable? You see, it was all done on the cross. It was all done with Christ. The problem here is also division comes in when we practice legalism. You know, you, it's so much easier to have 
that legalistic viewpoint because the flesh likes it for number one because the flesh can take pride in, hey, well, I did this this morning. I did my Bible study. I read. I prayed. Um, I, I, I worked in the missions thing the other day. I, I helped feed the hungry. And, you know, every one of those you check off, the flesh just goes... Where's the glory to Christ in that? But see, relationships are a little bit more messy. To stay in a relationship with Christ, that means you seek Him daily and you're accountable to the Holy Spirit inside you. And when He convicts you, you answer those convictions. But checking off boxes and being legalistic is really easy. You see, and the other thing about being legalistic, it it causes division. You see, well, you know... I'm a little bit better Christian than that guy over there because, you know, I attend more services than he does. I've never missed. Or, well, you know, I I know for a fact that I give more to the church than he does. So pretty soon that gets puffed up. And then there's a barrier and there's a division. His opinion doesn't matter that much to me because I know I'm a better Christian. You see how that works? The, the problem with legalism is that it can't provide holiness. There's only one way. It is through faith in what Christ did on the cross. Well, Paul goes into his sentimental argument here in this next verse where he says, You haven't injured me by, by taking in this false teaching. Now, on Paul's first missionary journey, he had been persecuted Uh, But these believers had received him with great joy. Now, there's a lot of discussion about what disease Paul had. Some people think because he says later on that they would pluck out their eyes, they had an eye problem. Others think that he had contracted malaria. Uh, Some think uh, he was preaching in the coastal and swampy regions of Pamphylia prior to coming to Galatia and that he moved to this mountain area for health reasons. So Paul says, uh, you haven't injured me uh, by this false teaching. So he moved to the mountainous areas for health reasons, but instead of going there just to recoup and recover and heal up, being the man that he was, Paul took that opportunity to preach the gospel of Christ to them and planted churches there. And even though he was ill, he, he, he... carried on his missionary work. He asked these folks then to recall the blessing of learning salvation through Christ. So Paul now wonders, you know, they've they've re- been blessed by the good news that, that we have been made right with God through the work of Christ. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God except repent and accept Jesus' work on the cross. So Paul wonders why you've turned against me. In verse 17, he begins to reveal the motive of these Judaizers. In 17, he says, They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. A true servant of God does not use people to build up himself or his work. I'm going to repeat that again. A true servant of God does not use people to build up himself or his work. He ministers in love to help people know Christ better and glorify him. Beware of the religious worker who wants your exclusive allegiance because he is the only one that is right. He will use you as long as he can 
and then drop you for someone else. It's easy for us to easier for us to check off lists than it is to walk in fellowship with God. Our flesh loves to keep an account and feeling good about it. But God wants fellowship and that's a lot messier. Christ himself taught us this in Matthew 23. And Jesus spoke to the crowds and to the disciples saying, The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in Moses' chair of authority as teachers of the law. So practice and observe everything they tell you, but don't do as they do, for they preach things but do not practice them. The scribes and Pharisees tie up heavy loads that are hard to bear and place them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not lift a finger to make them lighter. They do all their deeds to be seen by men. For they make their phylacteries wide to make them more conspicuous, and they make their tassels long. They love to place the place of distinction and honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue. Those on the platform near the rolls of the, of the scrolls of the law facing the congregation. And they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and public forums to have people call them rabbi. But do not be called rabbi or teacher, for one is your teacher, and you are all equally brothers. Do not call anyone earth who guides you spiritually your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Do not let yourselves be called leaders or teachers, for one is your leader or teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be raised to honor. Then Jesus goes into eight different woes to these legalistic Pharisees who want to check off lists and kind of measure themselves by each other instead of walking in fellowship with the Spirit. He says, But woe, judgment is coming to you, self-righteous scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven in front of people, for you do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow those who are in the process of entering to do so. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you swallow up widows' houses and cover it up to make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive the greater condemnation. Woe to you, self-righteous scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel over sea and land to make a single proselyte or a convert. And when he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears an oath by the sanctuary of the temple, that is nothing, it's not in binding. But whoever swears an oath by the gold of the temple is obligated as a debtor to fulfill his vow and keep his promise. You fools, blind men, which is more important, the gold of the sanctuary of the temple that sanctified the gold? And you scribes and Pharisees say, whoever swears an oath by the altar, this is nothing, but whoever swears an oath by what is on it, he's obligated to fulfill his vow and keep his promise. You spiritually blind men, which is more important, the offering on the altar or the altar that sanctifies the offer, offering. Therefore, whoever swears an oath by the altar swears both by it and by everything offered on it. And whoever swears an oath by the sanctuary of the temple swears by it and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears an oath by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by whom 
him who sits on it. Woe to you, self-righteous scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you give a tenth of your mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters, the more important spiritual issues, justice and mercy, faithfulness. These are the primary things you ought to have done and not neglecting the others. You spiritually blind guides who strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, self-righteous scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the plate, but the inside are full of extortion, robbery, and self-indulgence. You spiritually blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup of the plate, change your inner self to conform to God's precepts, so that outside you may be clean also. Woe to you, self-righteous scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which are beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. So you also outwardly seem to be just and upright to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, self-righteous scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build tombs for the prophets and decorate and adorn the monuments of of the righteous and you say if we had been living in those days of in the days of our fathers we would not have joined them in shedding the blood of the prophets so you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets fill up then the allotted measure of the guilt of your father's sins you serpents you spawn of vipers how can you escape the penalty of hell Therefore, take notice, I am sending you prophets and wise men, interpreters and scribes, educated in the Mosaic Law and the teachings of the prophets. Some of them you will kill and even crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and pursue and persecute from city to city, so that you will become, on you will come the guilt of all the blood of the righteous shed on the earth. And he goes on. But the point is that legalism makes you look good on the outside, But Jesus pointed out in all of these woes that the inside wasn't fixed. Nothing had changed. There was still, he said, you're like a sepulcher full of dead men's bones. You look really great on the outside, but inside the flesh is still in control. You have not been crucified to Christ. You have not surrendered yourself to Christ. The seeds of Christ's likeness are planted at the moment of conversion. Colossians 2.10 says we are made complete in Him. So this legalistic thing is contrary to what God wants for your life. Peter adds that believers have been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness in 2 Peter 1-3. through If you are a Christian, the life of God dwells in your soul. And with it, all you need for heaven. The principle of eternal life is already in you, meaning you have to claim heaven as a present possession. It's not pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. It's now. We're living eternity. If you have surrendered your heart to Christ and your performance or lack of performance does not change your salvation. Your salvation is based on the cross, on what Christ suffered on the cross. Now, that doesn't give you a license 
to do whatever you want. That opens the door for you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It opens the door for you to be obedient on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment walk with Christ. The life of God dwells in your soul and all you need for heaven. You've already passed from death unto life. John 5.24 says, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, the person who hears my word, the person who heeds my message and believes and trusts in him who sent me, possesses eternal life. That is, eternal life actually begins. The believer is transformed and does not come into judgment and condemnation, but has passed over from death to life. You are a new person. Whereas you were once enslaved to sin, you now have become a slave to righteousness. In Romans 6, 18-23, says this, And having been set free from sin, you have become the slaves of righteousness or conformity to God's will and purpose. Instead of receiving the wages of sin, which is death, you have received God's eternal gift, gift of eternal life. You see, this thing is like an artesian well. If you have truly come to a place in your life where you said, Lord, I need you. I repent of my sin. I've been going this direction, and I see plainly that that's going to lead me to hell, that it brings heartache, sickness into my life. And you say, Lord, I don't want to go that way anymore. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. At that moment, you're eternally saved. Your salvation is sealed. You see, I think a reason so many Christians don't witness and testify is because they are beat down by their performance. Well, you know, I just don't really measure up to brother so-and-so. I don't feel like, you know, I know enough of the Bible. And so they don't witness. And I'm going to tell you, folks, it's urgent. The world is coming to an end. We are living in the last days. And if it's ever a time for the church to get off its blessed assurance and talk about Jesus, it's today. It is time for us to not be beat up by the lies of Satan. You're, if you've accepted Jesus, repented of your sins, and asked Him to your life, you are saved. Stop struggling with that. And move on. Walk in obedience day to day by what Jesus is asking you to do. And when He asks you, hey, speak to that person, speak. Be bold. Because the days are short. I told Jeannie the other day I was tempted to put a post on Facebook and she scolded me and said, don't you do that. I said, I was going to put on there, you know, you don't have to go to the circus to see the freak show anymore. All you got to do is go through a fast food restaurant drive through Now, I don't mean that harshly, but I go through the fast food restaurant the other day and there was this little girl and it broke my heart. She had... Four things pierced in her lip here. She had a thing through her nose here. A thing through the top of her nose here. She had two or three things in the top of her eyebrows. Things poking out her cheeks. And you know what I see when I see that? I see the devil laughing. He's making a mockery of the creation of God. He's trying to destroy the image of God in people today. That's what all this transgender stuff is about. I'll just be bold and say it to you. 
There's two sexes, male and female. God created the foundation of civilization with those two sexes in a thing called marriage between a man and a woman. Not Adam and Steve, it was Adam and Eve. That's the foundation of civilization. All this transgender stuff is an attack by Satan straight out of hell to destroy what God has ordained and said, this is good. God said it is good that man should not be alone. And so he created woman. And that man and that woman is the foundation of God's empire. And Satan is out to destroy it. And how is he going to do that? Through all this transgender idiocy. That's why people are, are destroying their, their looks with all this weird stuff. Can you imagine? It just breaks my heart. The broken, the lost condition of people that they are so in pain and misery that they do that to themselves. There's a reason for that. They're crying out for truth. And we are so afraid we hide our little candle under the bushel like Jesus said. They need hope. They need love. You know... That's the other thing about legalism. You feel the, the pride puffs you up because I've checked off all the boxes. You know, I've done this and that. And so then when the drug addict or the homeless or, or the kid that's doing all that weird stuff to themselves comes by, well, you just kind of walk away, you know, instead of saying, hey, do you know Jesus loves you? That Christ died for you? Excuse me for getting sidetracked, but we're living in serious days. This whole thing about UFOs that they've that we see on the news, have you noticed that it's on the news every day? Didn't hear it? It was just the kooky wackos that talked about it in the past, but today it has become everyday occurrence. And now they're even investigating it in Congress this week. Did you see that? I happened to be at a class dinner with people I went to school with, and it was so enjoyable to find out the guy I knew from high school, he started preaching to them. He said, this stuff is demonic. It is demonic. It's deception. It's part of the great deception of the end of days. Now, folks, you know, I don't know what you're living for, but we're supposed to be living for Christ. Our Everything that we have is not ours. It's His. And are we using our time, our resources, and what we have? Are we planning on staying here forever because you know what's going to happen to it? It's going to be sand in your hands because this world is going to burn. All of this is going to disappear, and all that's going to matter is what you've done for Christ. You see someone in need, you better help them. If God lays it on your heart to do something for someone, be obedient. God has given us the power and everything we need to conquer the darkness. But when we look at the world today, you know, Jesus, the Scriptures taught us, we went through our study in Thessalonians, there would be a great falling away. The church is afraid to peep out of their bunker. But the lesbians and the 
transgender and the wackos. They're not. You have the truth of the gospel. This world is coming to an end. There is one Savior, one way. Would you deny the lost and the dying the truth? Would you deny them the opportunity to receive what God has given us? Am I perfect? Way. No. No way. No way. Are you perfect? No. God is not asking us to be perfect. He's asking you to walk in fellowship, to keep close records. He's asking you to talk to Him daily. He's asking you to walk in His Spirit. He's taking care of your salvation. He can take care of your performance. Some of you, God has delivered from alcohol. Some of you, maybe God has delivered from drugs or pornography or who knows what else. God is able, but your part is to pursue Him, pursue a relationship with Him and keep close tabs and trust that He that began this good work in you is also able to perform it until the day of His coming. Folks are dying every day. I heard this morning that someone was shot and killed in front of Lynn's driving this morning. I wonder, probably not prepared to meet God. Do you think about these things? Are, are, are your thoughts on eternity or, man, I need a vacation or I, I, I want to add to my retirement plan or I, I want a beach house or, you know, what's your motivation? What you living for? You're here for a purpose. That purpose is to make disciples. That purpose is to lead others to Christ. And so this morning, I'd like for you to stand this morning. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'll be honest with you. One of the things that bothers me about this church is we don't have altar calls. I don't know about you how you feel about that. If that offends you, I'm sorry. I really am. But I think the church needs to pray together. I think the church needs to call on God together. And I'm going to ask you this morning, if you if you feel like it, if you just come up here and stand up front, we'll just make a circle and hold hands and pray. Maybe you've got lost loved ones that need to be saved because the door is closing. Maybe you've got family that's sick that need a touch. Maybe you've got issues that you're struggling with that, that you just need need a little prayer. Is there anybody feels like that this morning? I'd like for you to feel free to come up here and stand and we'll pray. You know, we have tried to make the church so accommodating, I think sometime we've locked out the Holy Spirit. And I think God is, just like when He stood over, Jesus stood over Jerusalem and He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have been broken hearted for you. I'm, I'm, I'm not quoting exactly, but He said, I would gather you to me as a hen would gather her chicks. But you wouldn't come. This morning, come. Let's pray this morning. You just open your heart and say what's on your heart to God this morning. And let's Let's, let's talk to Jesus this morning. Our precious Heavenly Father, You are such a wonderful God. You are so good to us.
We don't even know the things that you've protected us from. You have watched over Brother Al this week. I thank you for that. I thank you for protecting each of us and so many things that could have happened to us day by day that you've watched over us. And we don't give you the credit. We just think, oh, well, that's the roll of the dice. But you are ever vigilant watching over everything in our life. It's not luck. It's God. It's God that has protected us and provided for us. And Father, this morning as a church, we come here standing before you, each one of us. Guys, just feel free to pray. Don't don't listen to me. We come here this morning opening our hearts to you, saying, Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we confess we're sinners in need of a holy God. Come this morning, Father. Change our performance. Lord, we're so unhappy that, that we are not where we want to be, but we're not where we used to be, thank God. We're so thankful this morning, Lord, that you've begun this work in us and you're going to complete it. And we look to you this morning. We surrender our hearts and our lives anew afresh to you this morning. And we pray for our lost loved ones, Lord. We know the door is closing. It's so obvious the darkness is is closing in and we know soon that trumpet's going to sound. And Father, we want our loved ones to go. We don't want any of our family to be left behind. God, we don't want to miss. We don't want them to miss heaven. We don't understand all there is to know about it and what it's going to be like. But Lord, we know it's going to be good. And we don't want folks to miss it. And we pray this morning for these people in this, in this group this morning as we stand here, Lord, as a church. This is your church. This is your people, Lord. Minister to us this morning. Touch us. Deliver us from those besetting sins. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, whatever it is, foul language or pornography or, or uh, any addiction, Lord. Deliver us this morning. Father. Produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. Help us, O God. We surrender to You this morning and look to You, our King, for You are all in all to us today. O Lord Jesus, come in this place. Do Your work. Have Your way, Holy Spirit. We need You, God, in these ages that are, these days that are going by, Father. We just pray that Your Spirit would empower us to be the warriors for Christ that You have called us to be. Lord, we're not playing church here this morning. We're not playing church. We're getting serious with You. And we ask You, Father, that You'd minister to each one here today. I pray that You'd touch their hearts, that You'd fill them with Your presence this day. And we lift up Pastor Bill, our our leader, to You today, Lord. We pray that You'd help him today to find relief for his ailment, that You'd touch his body, Father, that the pain would go away. And we believe that He's in Your hands, Lord. We trust You with Him today. Lord, we ask You to just go with us this morning. I'm going to ask Pastor John if he would pray for us as we close this service this morning. We'll, we'll just forget the closing song and ask Pastor John if, if you would close out in prayer this morning. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just love You so much because You've loved us first. And thank You, Lord, for the words that we've heard today for... Just the uh, encouragement to, we to want serve more you better, Jesus. Lord, and, and to to not. Uh...